Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them up uh, right smack dab in the middle. Most of the time, if you grab a Bible and open it right in the middle, you're going to land in the book of what? You're going to land in the book of Psalms. That's where we'll be today and for the next four weeks. And as we begin, you can follow the outline in the bulletin itself. Or if you have the Bible app, if you go to the events, the menu section, and then go to events, it'll pop up the notes for this morning. I want to start with an important question for you this morning, and I don't want you to rush while you answer it. I want you to think about it thoughtfully, and the question is this, how are you doing? How are you doing? you imagine if we actually answered that honestly from time to time? I'm angry, disappointed, and frustrated. Thank you for asking. I'm hungry, I'm tired, and I'm cranky. That's usually how it goes for me, by the way. Those three things happen together. Um, how are you doing? A lot of times it's, it's hard to have an honest assessment with ourselves. Um, and that's what we're going to try to do for four Sundays is, is give you a space to be honest with yourself as we discuss these psalms for difficult days, for troubling times, and for seasons full of worry. God has provided this book, this psalms, uh, which is a song book. It is a collection of songs. It's a collection of prayers. And if we read it in our modern day language on just a superficial level, we'll, we will come away with the impression that these are beautiful melodies which is true, but the reality is they're also brutally honest. They're almost irreverent in their audacity. And oftentimes when we read them, we can imagine them to give us a sanitized or maybe a highbrow approach to the individual psalmist and what they might have been experiencing in their life. The psalms can appear to be palacious, or palacious, that is not a word. For those of you taking notes, <laughs> they can appear to be polite and cautious, was what I was trying to say. It's my birthday, be nice. They can appear to be polite, cautious, even nice. They can appear to uh, be completely sanitized, but make no mistake, in the Hebrew, these Psalms are earthy. They're rough. They are uh, filled with brutal honesty and real passion, and they're not always gentle. They're the gritty prayers of real people going through difficult days and troubling times and often seasons full of worry. And make no mistake, this I want to set proper expectations for the next four weeks. We will not erase our difficult days through this study. In fact, these psalms won't actually help us forget our troubling times. And we won't see these seasons full of worry disappear, but what they will do is hopefully give us meaning and significance to this life and really hope for the next. So today we will look at Psalms 73, if you have your Bible, Psalms chapter 73. And this is a psalm for 
during, I should say, discouragement and frustration. This is written, if you look at the superscript of Psalm 73, it's written by someone named Asaph. Asaph was a great singer and a musician. He lived during the time of King David and King Solomon, and he was an organizer and leader for the temple choir, similar to how Lori, Shirley, and Mitch led us in worship this morning. Asaph would have had a similar role in the time of David and Solomon. He led people in worship. And so this is how we're going to study these psalms. We're going to read these psalms, we'll discuss them, and hopefully we'll, we'll be honest. We're in church, so it's a good place to be honest. But we will seek to grab some meaning and some significance. So I'm going to read the entirety of Psalm 73. It's 28 verses. And you can do one of two things. You can follow along with the notes. Uh, you can mark any words or any phrases, perhaps, that resonate with you. You can close your eyes and listen, but just for a few moments, we're going to listen to Psalm 73, the words of Asaph. He says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence, and from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possessions of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance, and they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you have placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes, and when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, and yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. If you look back at Psalm 73 and verse 1, the psalmist begins with what he knows about God and what he knows about himself. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. He says this, Surely God is good. Everyone say those words. God is good. He goes on to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then there's this moment of honesty. There's this moment of clarity because as much as he believes in verse 1, God is good. Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. He begins with what he knows about God, and that is this, God is good. What does he know about himself? My feet had almost slipped. What does that mean? Well, Asaph begins this psalm with the simple declaration of the goodness of God to his people. He reminds himself of this seminal truth in his life that God is good. He doesn't deny that. He doesn't doubt that. In fact, he lays it down as a firm conviction. By the way, this is not a truth that outside the church that people will automatically concede to you anymore. We're living in a world where the perception of who God is and His his role and His nature in our life is constantly questioned. But the psalmist begins with what he knows God is good. He knew what he said about God in the first verse was true, and yet yet there was another truth that disturbed him greatly. It made him almost stumble. I want you to picture, this is, uh, this is an often used uh, metaphor in Scripture that our relationship with God is like a walk with Him. And we walk with God, and Asaph is saying, as I walked with God, I know that He is good, but at some point in my life, my feet almost slipped. I almost stumbled. And here is his confession in verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Paul, or Paul, Asaph is declaring that God is good. But, God, if I'm honest, there are inconsistencies. It doesn't always seem to make sense. Life is not always fair. There is evidence to the contrary that you are good because I see the prosperity of the wicked. Bad things happen to good people and yet good things happen to bad people. And the psalmist is just being honest with himself and with us. He knew that God was good to Israel and to the pure in heart, but it also seemed that God was good to the boastful and to the wicked. And according to Asaph, the wicked seemed to enjoy the good life. It all seemed so unfair, and this made him almost stumble and slip. And so we find Asaph, in the first three verses of this psalm, discouraged and frustrated. He's discouraged and he's frustrated because he knows what is true about God, and yet the reality of what he sees in his life, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. God is good, but my feet almost stumble. I know he's good, but there are moments in my life where I see children abused. There's moments in my life where I see evildoers prosper. And if I'm honest with you, God, it doesn't make sense. It actually seems like they're enjoying the good life. 
how are you doing? Yeah, where, where's the discouragement? Where's the frustration in your life? Now, here's the thing. This is a psalm for you. You might be discouraged or frustrated today, or it'll happen tomorrow, or you have been discouraged or frustrated. Or someone in your life, someone in your family will go through what Asaph is going through to a certain measure. Asaph saw troubling evidence that many see in their own lives, and many people can't deny that God is good to them, but it also seems that God is good, perhaps too good to the boastful and to the wicked. And so these deep questions cause us to question the moral order of the universe. After all, one asks, what good is there being good? What good is there in being righteous? If the wicked enjoy the same prosperity as the pure and whore, the pure in heart, what is the reward of godliness? Asaph has some very specific complaints. They have the good life. Here are his complaints. Look at verse 4. They have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong. So his complaints are this. The wicked have no struggles and the wicked are healthy. He's complaining He's venting, he's being honest about why he's discouraged and even frustrated with God. He goes on, not only do they have no struggles and are healthy, verse 5, they are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. In other words, they have no burdens. The wicked are immoral. He has these very specific complaints because according to him, It just feels like the wicked are enjoying the good life. Look at how he describes it again, verse 6. Their pride is their necklace. In other words, they're not ashamed of their sin. They wear it in a way that is bold and easily visible for everyone. They clothe themselves with violence. In other words, everywhere they go, there is a violence to them in their words, in their actions, in their behaviors. Verse 7, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. He goes on to say they scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. Verse 10, he goes on, therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does he know anything? He ends in verse 12, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Does Asaph have a good case? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence, isn't there? If you just, if you just look around, you could probably find yourself saying some of those phrases as you watch the local news. As you scroll through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, as you, as, you, as you listen to the cable news networks, you could find yourself saying, man, they have no care in their life. They're, they're wearing their sin like a necklace. They're clothed in violence. And I love this phrase that he says, they're always free of care. It's not fair. And what he's saying is that the wicked are sinning without punishment. So this is his case. His discouragement and frustrated are born here. The wicked have no struggles. They're healthy. They have no burdens. They're immoral and they're sinning without punishment. 
And as much as he's pointing the finger at the wicked, he's also saying, God, I have struggles. God, I'm not as healthy as I, I would like to be. I have a lot of burdens. And Lord, when I sin, you lay the hammer down. And I'm discouraged and I'm frustrated. He goes on to say in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. This is one of the reasons why it's important to read Scripture in context. Because could you imagine telling someone Psalm 73, 14 is my life verse? All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Welcome to Christianity. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. You have to take it in context. And, and what Asaph is doing, truly God is good, but there's some evidence to the contrary, God, and I'm just going to pour out my heart to you. Have you had that moment in the last year and a half? Have you had that moment with distance learning? Have you had that moment while uh, the regulations and the guidelines have gone back and forth? Have you had that moment where your health is not what you thought it could be or maybe someone really close to you and the bastion of health and, and, and vitality all of a sudden gets a diagnosis they weren't expecting? Have you had that moment when a relationship you thought would last the, stand the test of time and now is disintegrating right before you? Have you had that moment where God is good, but the evidence seems to be contrary to that? Asaph is discouraged and frustrated, and in this psalm, he addresses his discouragement and his frustration. And I would say this, the first thing he did was he acknowledged it. He acknowledged his discouragement and his frustration. We just read a dozen verses on how he acknowledged it. And for my taste, he's brutally honest. I'm okay with that. How are you doing? I'm afflicted every day, Daniel. And every morning brings me new punishment. Thanks for asking. He acknowledged it. I want to give you some space and some permission in this service and this week to acknowledge whatever might be the source of a discouragement or a frustration for you. He caught himself from sliding further into despair over the perceived prosperity of the wicked. He didn't want to betray the generation, he says. Uh, If you look at verse 15, he said, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, he didn't want to betray the generation he was responsible to in the sense that he didn't want to promote the sense of injustice and despair. Instead, he acknowledges his discouragement and frustration to God. And church, I would say this, healing from this discouragement and frustration first comes with acknowledgement. And if you deny its existence, you simply prolong the healing. And instead of getting better, you get bitter. And Hebrews reminds us that, boy, that root of uh, bitterness 
When it grows, it defiles many. It just doesn't affect you. It affects everyone around you. And maybe you've seen that take place in your own family, that in your own life, have you have, have, as you have become discouraged and bitter no matter, or frustrated, no matter what the source of that was, have you seen it bloom in your life and it take over and the weeds in your life have taken over and then all of a sudden your relationship with your husband isn't as close as it was? Your relationship with your wife, you can feel the tension. All of a sudden, you're not as loving or kind or compassionate to your kids, even though nothing was prompted that kind of behavior. It's because that root of bitterness has sprung up. He acknowledged that discouragement. And if you deny the existence of discouragement or frustration in your life, you simply prolong healing. And instead of getting better, you will get bitter. He acknowledged it. I would say, secondly, he chose a new perspective. Asaph was caught in a trap. He could not deny the evidence that said that wicked and the ungodly often have good lives. He could deny that his own life was hard. He left himself being feeling plagued and chastened by God, chastened by God, and it became all too painful for him. Painful. And for Asaph, as you read this psalm, these 20-some verses of this psalm, you can kind of just see his emotions building with every verse. The crisis seemed to build and build for him until he went to the house of the Lord. Look at verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. In fact, let's read these two verses together. Verse 16 and 17, ready, begin. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. There's a gift that comes with a new perspective. And for Asaph, when he tried to understand it all on his own, it troubled him deeply. Until he entered the sanctuary of God, until he entered the very presence of God and his people, until he got a divine perspective for us followers in Colossians 3, he says, if you've been risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above, not those things which are below. A a new perspective gifts us a new paradigm. It allows us to see things from heaven's eye. And there's a gift that comes with this new perspective, and that is this. You gain an understanding in the presence of God and his people. He gained an understanding on his problem that he did not have before. There he was able to see things from an eternal viewpoint, and he gained understanding. If you're taking notes by prayer and worship in the presence of God, he understood that God is the center of all things. And he gained a fresh appreciation of both God and eternity. God is the center of all things. This is why I love that Asaph began with what he knew about God in verse 1. Truly, God is good. We threw all throughout Scripture, we see reminders that God is patient, that he's, uh, he's steadfast, that he's full of loving kindness, that he is Uh, He himself is love, that we would not have the capacity or the desire to love outside of his love for us. And so Asaph begins with this this premise that God is love. And he reminds himself, he gets this understanding that God is the center of all things. He also recognizes that there is a truth that goes beyond what he saw and experienced in everyday life. 
by no means do we mean to undercut your personal experiences. But what Asaph is trying to allow us to understand is that there is a truth that extends far beyond what we see and experience because there is a timeline of eternity that we're unable to comprehend. And so God is the center of all things. He understands that there's a truth beyond what he saw and experienced. But then by prayer and worship in the presence of God, he understood that God takes sin seriously. Don't for a minute allow yourself to think, boy, the, the wicked prosper. And in doing so, what you find yourself saying is, well, maybe that sin isn't as bad as my sin. And maybe, the, maybe, the, the, maybe, maybe some sin is excusable. After all, they're, they, they, they are obviously doing something contrary to the law of God, and yet at the same time, there is this blessing that appears to be on their life. And yet what Asaph recognizes as he entered the sanctuary of God, and he understood their end is that God does take sin very seriously. We read on in verse 18. He says this, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes, and when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Boy, he acknowledged his discouragement, his frustration. He chose a new perspective, and when he did he gained an understanding in the presence of God and his people. But we also see this space in verse 21 and verse 22 where Asaph himself confessed his own shortcomings. He confessed his own shortcomings. Look at verse 21. He says this, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, and I was a brute beast before you. In other words, he confessed his lack of understanding. He confessed how that bitterness affected him, how that when his heart was grieving, he didn't have any sense. He was ignorant. He was a beast before God. He confessed that he forgot about eternity, that he dismissed God's justice. And in doing so, that confession brought healing. I want to encourage you to confess specifically this morning. We were in a... Uh, in the last six months or so, I don't know how long we've been doing it, last four, five, six months, uh, we've been uh, doing a men's study on Tuesday nights through the book of James. And in James, he encourages us to confess our faults. And we talked about what does that look like? We don't have a culture that really embraces confessions. We have public apologies all the time. But we don't really have confession. What does that look like? And and during one of our discussions, I remember Pastor Darren was telling us how important it was for us to confess specifically before God. Not the, and Lord, if there's anything else I did today that just didn't measure up, would you forgive me? But the importance of confessing very specifically to God your shortcomings. Here's the gift. What happens when you confess specifically? Your heart has the opportunity to grieve that shortcoming, to grieve that sin, to enable yourself to be broken before our Creator, to bow down on your knees. And what Asaph is doing here is he's confessing his lack of understanding. He says, my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. I was senseless and I was ignorant and I was a brute beast before you. And one of the, 
One of the fascinating things about our prayer life sometimes is we like being honest with God about what we're discouraged with. And we like to be very specific with God about that. God, I can't believe I'm the fifth person in this coffee line. You know I woke up late. You know I snoozed seven times. You know I need this coffee. And we could become very specific with God about where we're discouraged or where we're frustrated, right? But then on the other side of it, when we need to ask for God for forgiveness, for some reason our mind goes blank. And we say, Lord, if I sin today, would you forgive me? I wonder what it would look like if today you confessed very specifically to God your shortcomings. And just had an honest moment with God and said, God, I was angry with you because. And because I was angry, my heart grieved and I became bitter. Would you heal me from that bitterness? That kind of specificity is what Asaph is doing here. He confessed his shortcomings, and this is where he ended. He embraced the truth of God's promises. Boy, I love verse 23 and verse 24. After all Asaph has disclosed to God and to us, this is where he lands. Verse 23. I am always, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Let's say those verses together. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Do that one more time with me. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. You know, he, he started his response to discouragement and frustration by simply acknowledging it. I am discouraged. I'm frustrated. He chose a new perspective. He gained understanding in the presence of God and others in the sanctuary of God. He confessed his shortcomings, but this is where his heart rested with these three truths. God is with me. God holds me. God guides me. God is with me. We live and breathe in the very presence of God. He holds me. We live and breathe with the protection of God. And he guides me. We live and breathe for the purposes of God. God is with me. He holds me. And he guides me. Today is May 23rd. It's also known as the Sunday that we would uh, recognize Pentecost as Lori opened our service with in the, as a reminder. It's the day we celebrate the beginning of the church in the New Testament. It reminds us how Jesus' promise that God would send the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that very fulfillment. It's been 50 days since Easter, which is what Pentecost means. It means 50 and that was the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples in Jerusalem. And if you were curious about why Lori was talking about the languages, you had a bunch of believers 
in a room in Acts chapter 2, all from different dialects and languages in terms of how they communicated. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And as they were preaching, they could hear and understand the words in the tongue of their own language. This was after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you look out through the Gospels, uh, Jesus had talked about the Comforter one day would come. You'll get an advocate. This Spirit will come. He will guide you in all truth. And, and oftentimes, if you were the disciples and you had no context to understand what Jesus was talking about, this would have been a mysterious, unbelievable truth. That Jesus would simply be replaced or, or there would be someone else or is it, is it someone else we can touch and breathe or, or touch and feel, I should say, or is it... Or, or uh, it must have been a mystery. And yet Acts chapter 2 describes how the Holy Spirit would come upon and He would lead them and He would guide them. And what was the role of the Holy Spirit? It's this role to, to be with us, to hold us, to guide us. And the Holy Spirit is a promise that's fulfilled in these verses in Psalm 73. God is with me. God holds me. God guides me. We read on in verse 25 as we finish the chapter. He says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? You see his tone change. His heart is starting to rest in these truths. He says in verse 25, And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Yeah, I see the wicked prosper. And yes, they seem to live without care. And yes, they wear their sin like a necklace and they're clothed with violence. But if I'm being honest, God, who do I have in heaven but you? There's nothing Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. In other words, verse 2, or verse 1 where he says, um, uh, my, fit may, my feet may slip. He acknowledges it. My heart, my flesh, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Amen. I have made the Lord, the sovereign Lord, my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is a psalm for discouragement, for frustration. Last year, in June of uh, 2020, Libby and I found out that we would uh, be unable to have natural-born children of our own. And it's been very hard and difficult. Uh, when we got married, we wanted, uh, we wanted children, we wanted a family. We also knew there would be some challenges with our age. Y'all thought you hired a young pastor, but we began seeing a fertility specialist uh, shortly after we got married. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of tests. It's a lot of questions, and there's just a lot. By the way, before I go any further, I'd appreciate your discretion on this um, as, a as it concerns Libby. You know, I just want to protect her from everything, right? And so if you, uh, if you have any specific questions um, that need to be answered, 
I'd ask you to hold them for now. Would you do that for us? And uh, if you feel like you need them answered, by all means, please come to me. Let me be the one to answer those questions. We've done our best in the last year to acknowledge the discouragement and frustration. Um, we've recognized that God is good. But there were moments when our feet began to slip. And we would wonder, how in the world is this fair? And there have been a lot of good conversations, a lot of prayer, and a lot of healing in the last year. Libby's been a champ. Um, it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been quick, but there's been healing in our hearts. And yet, I will tell you this. I woke up Tuesday morning and I said, uh, I said, God, you are good. And I still don't have a child. And I'm not happy about that. And with the help of others, we've chosen... We have tried, I should say, to choose a new perspective and gain understanding in the presence of God and his people. And I'm incredibly grateful for our church family. Many of you unknowingly were used very specifically by God to, um, to be real safe places and real encouragement to us. Uh, in the past six months, as I told you, we've had a, a men's study on Tuesday and a couple's study on Wednesdays, and those places have been real uh, encouraging to us as we've shared with them some of this story. Libby and I have both found a pastor we both love and trust, and we began to see him on a regular basis to get counseling, uh, to work through some of the frustration and the discouragement in our own hearts, and uh, slowly but surely we found our footing once again. And as we did, we really truly began to embrace these truths that God is with us, he holds us, and he guides us. So, last October, Libby and I do our best conversations in the car. I don't know where you have your conversations, but we do our best ones in the car for some reason. Um, so, last October or so, I had begun feeling that God was softening our hearts, and uh, so I came home on a Thursday, I think, and I said, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A for dinner. Well, and for those of you who know, Chick-fil-A is about an hour and 15 minutes away. And in my head, I thought, this is a good three hours. We can have a conversation. And on that drive to Chick-fil-A and back, we, we started just unpacking some of the things we had been experiencing and feeling over the last then six months or so. And one of the things we both recognized is God was softening our hearts to, to open up our lives and our family and our home uh, to fostering. And uh, just exploring what that might look like. So I think in November we began looking seriously into it. And, you know, uh, we talked to Darren. We talked to a bunch of people in our life that had gone through that journey. And, and Darren gave us a lot of good wisdom. And he told us not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of really, really good people in our life just love us through the thing and uh, through that part of it, and so, um, so we're about two or three weeks away from being certified as foster parents, and I want to share that with you because, um, I want to share that with you because it'd be really, really weird if we just showed up with a baby one day, 
And I want to tell you, so Daniel, are you you 100% healed? Eh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Today, yeah. I feel pretty good today. Catch me tomorrow. I don't know. I may not be fully healed tomorrow. I feel pretty good today. Um, Are we 100% sure about what's next in our lives? Nope. And we, and we wrestle with these two emotions and these two things in our lives, and yet uh, we rest here. God is with us. He holds us and he guides us. I want to tell you this. Comfort and joy are on the other side of discouragement and frustration. Through embracing his presence, his protection, and his purpose for our lives. This is Asaph's story. That the comfort and joy that God provides is on the other side of discouragement and frustration by embracing his presence. God is with us. His protection, God holds us. And his purpose, God guides us. I want you to look at the bookends that are found in Psalm 73. Look at verse 1 and 2, and then look at the last verse. Verse 1 and 2 say this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. You see the emotion. You see the angst. You see the discouragement and frustration. Now let yourself look at the last verse. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Here's the thing. God takes our misery, our discouragement, our frustration, our suffering so seriously that he himself was willing to take it on himself. So don't for a minute think, God, you don't understand this discouragement and frustration. You wouldn't know. No, he took it so personally that he took on that misery and suffering himself. In fact, in that moment before his crucifixion, that the night before, he said, Lord, if there's any way this could pass, would, would you let it pass? And then the bookend of all bookends, he says, but not my will, but thine. There's comfort and joy on the other side of discouragement and frustration. And don't for yourself think for a moment that you're in this alone. Don't for a moment think that God doesn't understand or sympathize with the weakness or the suffering that you're going through. Don't for a moment fool yourself into thinking, boy, they have it so good. They they, they have it so good. They live without care. Um, What good is it in being righteous? What is the goal of why? 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 Let yourself rest in the last verse of Psalm 73. As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Some questions to think about today. Where do you find yourself discouraged and frustrated? And I'd encourage you to be very specific here. Where do you find yourself discouraged and frustrated? You owe it to yourself, to be honest. You owe it to God to 
be honest. He knows anyway. Where do you find yourself discouraged and frustrated? What are the, what are the confessions in your heart that you can specifically make before God related to that discouragement and frustration? Confess specifically. And then together as a church family, let's meditate on these thoughts. God is with me. God holds me. And he guides me. Can we say those three together? Ready, begin. God is with me. He holds me. God guides me. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. Would you bow together for a word of prayer? Truly, God, you are good. But as for us, there are moments in our life, Lord, where our feet almost slip, where we nearly lose our foothold. Because the evidence to that statement that you are good sometimes feels so contrary in our life. Oh, there's people that are succeeding. There are people that are going on and on and on and don't give a care to you or anything. They have no struggles. It appears that they're healthy. It appears that they have no burdens. They're immoral. They're sinning without punishment. And Lord, I need you to know we have struggles. We have burdens. Father, as we wrestle with discouragement and frustration, I'm so grateful for Asaph. I don't know much about him, but I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to meet this person that represented you so well, that was able to be brutally honest with you, but at the same time find solace and peace and joy in your presence. And so, God, I'm talking, I, 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 am, I am pastoring a church, Father, and I think in the last 18 months, there's been a fair amount of discouragement and frustration. Father, would you remind us of these truths in our lives, that you are with us. Father, would you never let us doubt your presence in our life? Let us never take it for granted. Let us understand that the reason that you whisper is because you're standing right next to us. You don't need to yell because you are with us. Father, would you help us to embrace in our discouragement, in our frustration, that you hold us, that you protect us. That you were there with us and that you were protecting us even in these seasons full of worry, these difficult days, these troubling times, that you are holding us and you're protecting us. Father, in the midst of this discouragement and frustration, would you allow us to embrace the fact that you are guiding us, that there's, there's plans in our life, that there's a destiny in our life that you are leading us toward. And as we trust you, as we lean into you, there are, there are moments in our life that will be revealed on sometimes the why of what we've gone through. I'm going to ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your hearts open for what God is speaking to you about. When you think about how Asaph responded, oh, first he acknowledged it. Child of God, or is there an area in your life you need to acknowledge that you're discouraged, that you're frustrated in? And what would it look like for you to choose a new perspective? Oh, the 
the words of Asaph said, man, I couldn't understand it on my own till I went to the sanctuary of God. When I entered the presence of God, I had this new understanding. What would it look like for you to have a new perspective and to confess those shortcomings? And my prayer for you, church family, is that you would embrace the truth of God's promises for today, that he's with you, that he holds you, and that he guides you. As for us, God, it is good to be near God, and we have made the sovereign Lord our refuge, and we will tell all of your deeds. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, church family, I love you, and uh, I hope you'll pray for Libby and I, and uh, we count on your love and support through this journey for us. I was really, really challenged by Asaph as we prepared for this. And I want to encourage you, if there's a discouragement or frustration in your life and you don't know where to start, I need you to reach out to someone. Maybe it's the person you came to church with. Maybe it's one of our pastors here or one of our elders. But we would be honored to walk with you and to lead you into this comfort and joy that God gives. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.